Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Will Henry, and I'm accompanied and joined by Danny Lee and LaVille Jack. This week, we got about six topics that we are going to discuss. And we're going to, again, skip the intros and get straight to the info. So we're going to start off with that fight card that took place on the zone yesterday or last night between Virgil Ortiz and Maurice Hooker. What you guys think about that fight? I think the fight went pretty much how um, all of us, all three of us predicted. Well, I mean, we, we all predicted, you know, similar things, but even, even in our differences, we were kind of along those lines. Um, we have Virgil Ortiz. He's coming in, you know, 16 and no, all knockouts, 16 knockouts uh, against Maurice Hooker, 27 and one with with 18 knockouts. Uh, they both are are very tall guys. Um, even though Maurice Hooker is moving up, he's tall for the weight. He's about you know 5'11 with like almost an 80 inch reach. Then we have Virgil Ortiz, who is five foot ten. Also, uh, you know, he's more. Uh, uh, Filled out welterweight, and this will is going to be a good test for Ortiz. Even though Maurice Hooker is moving up, he has interesting dimensions, which um, we will have to see whether how Ortiz would deal with that that range and and you know the the size of, of, of Maurice Hooker. So I mean, this fight played out pretty much the way we we saw it out. We saw it; it was exciting. I mean, we saw uh, Ortiz get tested. Um, Hooker was laying some leather on him, but we also saw that uh, it went kind of similar to how the Ramirez uh, fight went for Hooker. So we saw Virgil Ortiz, you know, pretty much uh, outpunch Maurice Hooker and, uh, you know, kind of out-hustle him. Hooker was in the fight. I mean, it was it was almost equal on, on some terms. We just saw the power of Ortiz be too much for Hooker. Okay, Hooker went down to six. Then we saw, we saw in the uh, seventh round, it, it was a weird uh, inning where I guess he was uh, Maurice Hooker was hit on a, either the elbow or the wrist, and he, he went down and uh, pretty much uh, waved it off. Um, but still, I was impressed with Maurice Hooker's toughness. I mean, the guy, I mean, even Virgil Ortiz was impressed with, you know, how tough uh, Hooker's chin was. You know, I, th- I think uh, Hooker, you might want some, you know, light touches, you know, going forward uh, at one if you if he wants to remain at one forty seven. But I think Ortiz, you know, it, it was a good win for him. He was tested. Uh, it was nice to see him take punches because there's two ways we can look at this. We can look at it. Um, yeah, Ortiz did take some leather, but at the same time, he did show that he can take a punch, which that was a question also. And we and Hooker, while he's not like this, you know extremely hard puncher. He's not a pillow, puff, pillow puncher neither. I mean, the guy can't crack. So uh, it was a good fight from, for Vic, from uh, it's a good fight from Virgil Ortiz and um, a good performance by Maurice Hooker, even in that loss. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I just want to start off by saying, man, shout out to them, you know, putting on a really good performance out there in Fort Worth. You know, I looked at the guys, too. You know, I lived in Dallas for like 14 years and um, the house. Well, I live in Grand Prairie. Right. And so that's where Virgil Ortiz is from. And when I looked and I saw the guys entering into the ring, when I saw the colors that they decided to wear and that they chose, 
I was like, oh man, it brought me back to the time I lived in Texas because of the fact that I know specifically that Maurice Hooker, he was wearing the black and gold because that's for Southwell Cliff. That's their color, Southwell Cliff High School. And then in Grand Prairie, they have two high schools. They have Grand Prairie High School and then they have South Grand Prairie High School. South Grand Prairie is black and red and Grand Prairie High School is the colors that Virgil Ortiz wore, which was the blue and gray. So I was like, oh man, they got that, you know, dynamic going. And sometimes those two football teams play in like the playoffs and stuff and stuff like that. So it's like a slight rivalry there, not a huge rivalry because really South Oak Cliff is more a rivalry with South Dallas. But that's a whole um, Dallas history lesson for you. Um, but like I said, it was a really good fight. I respect both guys based on what I saw. It's two good weeks of boxing that we just witnessed, you know, on the zone. Before, in the past, I was saying the zone might be out of here. But as I'm looking at it, they're actually keeping boxing alive. So I was absolutely wrong. And I'm glad that I was wrong. But as far as the bout was concerned, um, coming into the fight, you had Hooker who was on a 15-month layoff. He did everything that you possibly can do in order to not be prepared for this fight, right? 15-month layoff. First, like, really legitimate fight at welterweight. You fight against a powerful guy like and hungry young man in uh, Virgil Ortiz. He was a 10-to-1 underdog. So some of those things you probably don't want to do as far as coming into a fight, like with a long layoff and then fighting such a high-caliber opponent in your first outing. Ortiz, on the other hand, was coming off of six to seven-month layoff. It was really like a, I say six to seven because he fought at the end of, I think, October. Um, and the other thing going into the fight, he hadn't been past seven rounds in his entire career, and he still hasn't based on yesterday's results. Ortiz was landing some bone-breaking body punches and really some good, solid jabs up top, really some really solid shots, you know, head to head and body. Um, one thing that I did notice in the sixth round when he dropped Hooker is that they might want to fine-tune some of the things that he does when he goes to finish his opponent because he kind of got wild. And when he dropped Hooker, it was more so that body shot. Every time he was hitting him to the body, it was really weakening Hooker. Hooker is so flimsy, you know what I mean? Like it's if he was just a little bit more sturdy, um, then he would probably be able to absorb some of those punches a little bit better. It's just he's not, you know. Um, but he has so much heart. One time he went back to the corner and he was telling Bomack, like he was just telling his like, sorry, coach, I just couldn't breathe because he hit him with, with a tremendous body shot. He reminded me of somebody, I don't I won't tell that story, but Tremendous heart on that young man. And I think that really for him, had he not been behind the eight ball so much with be, having a long layoff and not really properly preparing himself for a fight of that magnitude by getting you a solid opponent at welterweight to get comfortable with the weight before you go into that fight, I really think that he had a legitimate chance of winning that fight. And his strategy was kind of Hooker is going to bang with you in that fourth round, he has some success. That's the round that I gave him. But by him having that success, he kind of got a little bit too confident where he was willing to exchange with Ortiz just a little bit too much for him being someone who was moving up in weight. Um, but like I said, he has heart. Um, and like it was, it was a great event, you know, and shout out to both of those guys. Look forward to seeing uh, what Ortiz has to offer and Hooker you know, get you some rest and 
you know, probably put a, put together a better plan when you're about to face an opponent like a Virgil Ortiz. Yeah, definitely. Great job of breaking that down, fellas. Um, I had it uh, 58-55 Ortiz through six. I gave Hooker the first and the fourth round. I gave him the first because I thought he had landed more cleaner punches while Ortiz landed the more impactful ones, but I thought the quantity favored, favored Hooker just, just by edge. Um, but no, a very good fight. Uh, like you said, Vel, it kind of played out kind of how I thought it would. I I think when we initially talked about it, I was a little bit worried about Hooker's size moving up to 147. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he could make 140 comfortably anymore. I, 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 there might have been a reason why he moved up, if I recall correctly. But he just seemed kind of like wiry at 147, you know. But I, I don't think it would have had, give, given the context, you know, the long layoff and everything, um, I don't think that would have had much of an impact because Ortiz just landed some shots. Um, but props to Hooker because he was really taking those headshots well. And, and in the post-fight interview, Ortiz said it himself. Hooker was taking the headshot so well, um, that's why he ended up going to the body. And so he had a success to the body. I think it was around the fourth, about the fifth round when, when Hooker started confident. Um, Ortiz let out those solid body shots on the inside and hurt him. And so when he had success there, you know, obviously you, you, you lower your guard a little bit. And then the headshot is right there. And so, um, you know, uh, the truth is we don't know how Hooker stacks up to the rest of the welterweights. But, you know, he's a former world champ who gave the current world champ um, and Ramirez back at 140 and arguably a future world champ at Ortiz. He gave him some, some good pushes. He gave him some good work. Off topic a little bit, but – and thanks for the context of the, the Texas context of that area too, Will, because, you know, that's not something that somebody like me of Virginia would have known. But I, I hated the fact that he got booed in his own hometown like that. Like, I get it because of the crowd, but especially after the knockout, like, he just gave you guys a good fight. Why are you still booing that man? And so, um, but, you know, that said, it looked like he had a hand injury. I hope it isn't that serious. It was a very good fight. Um, did anybody else have anything to say? Yeah, about I got the fight itself? One, uh, yeah, he's, that's going to be um, tough for anybody that's going to face a Hispanic fighter. Um, Dallas and definitely Fort Worth because they're going to turn out. Um, I went to a fight. The last one I went to was um, Emmanuel Augustus. He fought out there in Grand Prairie. It's a little park out there. $25 to get in. And it was like you could sit like almost front row. You know what I mean? But it was a really good event. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, is that it was a haven for like Mexicans, right? And so they their support and even yeah. though you have a large like south grand prairie i should say south grand prairie south oak cliff shout out to south oak cliff the other thing people may not know is that um like that's dallas oak cliff right and so i don't know if people know that that's where the doc got his name from the doc stands for dallas oak cliff and so that's that area but it's a, a lot of african-americans who live in that area but it's way more like you take Grand Prairie, you take Arlington, you take Fort Worth, all of those, they're going to fill up that area. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, they began to boof uh, Hooker, even though he's from that area. The other thing that I was going to say is 
Um, only reason I mentioned a 15 month layup, I just think just in general, just if you take all of those factors into play, right? He's coming off. He had one fight against a mediocre opponent, which was good for him, you know, just to get back in the ring after that devastating knockout loss to Ramirez. But you couple that with not being in a ring for 15 months, it's going to be a level of, you know, just getting back everything together. And I don't like to me for a fighter, I think just in general, that you're just going to be more fine tuned when you're fighting more on a more consistent basis. And so that's all I'm saying. I don't know if that would have enabled him to gain a victory or anything like that. I think that he would have been better here, although he looked pretty good inside the ring. I just think that that would have, um, that can't help that you're out the ring for a year and three months, you know, that's all. Yeah, I would agree with that. So uh, we have our winner, Virgil Ortiz, um, now 17 and no 17 knockouts. Uh, his first real test at 147. Where does he go in the division, guys? Um, I think a good step forward. He's 22 years old. Um, he had a pretty nice event that he just was a part of. I think maybe a logical step for him because, again, Hooker is a former champion at a lower weight division. And like I said, he's pretty flimsy. He has the heart of a lion, right? But for me, I think with Ortiz, one thing that could hamper him if, because I'm, I'm seeing Terrence Crawford being there and they leaning towards like moving him in that direction. Before you get one of those guys, any of those guys, you want to make sure that you get somebody in there who is durable enough that could potentially take you past seven rounds. So when I'm thinking about it through that lens, I'm looking at somebody probably like a Josecito Lopez who, you know, also has the heart of a lion. And he has faced pretty much everybody, the who's who of the 147-pound weight division. So he knows all of the tricks and he's durable. So I think that would be a logical step from someone like that. You know, you probably wouldn't expect Josecito Lopez to win, but he's going to push you. And so that's what the kid needs at this point is somebody along those lines. So, well, I agree with your logic there. I think somebody like that would be a, a, a good a good test for him. Maybe not test, but a good person to for him to get rounds in. Um, if he didn't get that fight, a few other names he'd go after David Avanesian, who is uh the European champion he's on a four four fight win streak. Um uh, there's another undefeated one to eight uh and the Golden Boy stable with him, Rashidi Ellis, uh who's not a big name, but you know, could be someone that he could go after and it seems like a pretty easy enough fight to make. Uh, but outside of that, he would need to either go on PBC side of the street or or go elsewhere in top rank side of the street. And you said his name before, Will, and like again, I agree with where your head's at. But but when I also look at the context of, you know, where Ortiz in his, is in his career, and Terence Crawford, the fact of the matter is, so he he wants to fight a, um, back in July of last year before he fought Samuel Vargas, he said he wanted Crawford, and then last night 
he, you know, they asked him about him because, you know, Crawford's there. He acknowledged that it would be a big step up, but said, it doesn't matter if I'm ready. I just want to fight, uh, which I respect him for. And, you know, at that point, it's up to De La Hoya as a, as a promoter to, you know, go one way or the other. However, De La Hoya tweeted Crawford after the fight and said to have Aaron call him. And so, you know, you look at Ortiz, where Ortiz is at. He wants to fight, whether or not he's ready. Um, and Crawford kind of brushed it off at the beginning, you know, before, before that fight happened, saying that he, he's looking at bigger or better. Um, and he brushed off the, you know, the other fight, too. I'm not even going to name it. But, you know, the other fight, he brushed that off, too, said that's he, he's over that. Um, but, for you know, you look at Crawford's outlook, and he fought he fought Kelbrook in November. Um, that wasn't really what fans wanted to see from him in terms of the opponent. Right, he hasn't really had a big name opponent in a while. He's been kind of going through names that have that were big names at one point, and would have been better fights at another point in their careers. But you know, you look at what his outlook is. Um, it's time for him to have a legacy fight, and I'm not saying Ortiz would be a legacy fight, but Pacquiao has basically priced himself out. I think he wanted 40 mil last time I checked. Uh, you got Danny Garcia, who you know he he mo- he's moving up in weight. Um, we don't know if Aram is going to give Sean Porter or Thurman the money that they're asking for. And so who would be left for Crawford? And and so, you know, Ortiz has more options, right? But the fight kind of makes the most sense for Crawford because if you're going to fight somebody like that, one, you need a name. He's he's kind of he's kind of riding the high because he just won an exciting fight and you're fighting him early. So you know, obviously that, that might leave you open for some more, some more uh, flat. But I don't know who else Crawford fights at this point. So I don't know the the bigger and better that Crawford said he's looking at. But it it would make sense. I, I would understand if this fight were to happen. I would rather see Ortiz take a, a Lopez or a, a Vanessian or someone like that. But if he fought Crawford, I'd be like, eh, I can see it. I don't know who would win that one, but I could I could see it going down at least. Yeah, where does Virgil Ortiz go from here? Well, um, I look at it like this. I'm a fight fan, but I'm not a businessman. <laughs> so wherever you want to fight, I mean, that's fine. But at the same time, there are levels to this. And, you know, uh, yesterday there were, you know, Crawford was there. And also even Errol Smith was there. And they were flaunting Errol Smith's name there also. But I think there's still... For Virgil Ortiz, there's still levels, and and of course we just saw it's saw uh, Teofimo Lopez, you know, fight uh, Lomachenko and take the crown. So none of this is out of the, the 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 equation. It's just that there, you know, there are levels to this between you know a Maurice Hooker and a a Terence Crawford or Earl Spence. And I think before he gets Virgil Ortiz looks at those names, he should, those names he should be looking at someone maybe. Uh, when you look at the level, even a, a, a Maurice Hooker, you have guys that's at welterweight, uh, like Josecito Lopez. That's a good fight for him. Jamal James uh, is a uh, a guy that's on the you know he's always around there contender set status. Uh, you got you still have Mean Machine. His Mean Machine's only loss was with uh, Terrence Crawford, uh, and and that's a good fight for Virgil Ortiz. 
I mean, if, if they want to throw him in there, of course, it's a bad business choice, but if they want to throw him in there with Jerron Ennis, and, you know, it could be a, some blockbuster. I'm for that because, you know, Tommy Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard, they were, what, 23-24 when they fought, or 22-24. So I, th- I think – who am I to say whether Virgil Ortiz is ready or not? Of course, I believe he may not be ready, but who am I to say that? I mean, if he wants to – be Fernando Vargas, who he was compared to last week. If you want to be Fernando, want to go into the path of how Fernando Vargas did it, um, that's fine too. Because who knows? Maybe he's he's going to be at his peak and peak early, and then you know flame out uh, earlier than than most of the people around his age. He, that could be this could be him moving into his peak right now. So. Uh, but still, there's still levels to this. I mean, even before he looks at, uh, you know, Terrence Crawford, I would even try uh, even a Sean Porter, a Keith Thurman, you know, those guys, a Danny Garcia, you know, at least that'll show how how much he's in that equation once he, he even takes on those guys. But, you know, hey, it, it's Virgil Ortiz, he's the hot commodity for Golden Boy. I think um, – for, for all of Oscar De La Hoya's thoughts, I think he's going to make the right decisions when it comes to, to Virgil Ortiz. Anything else you guys want to share? Yeah, I just, you know, it's, it's a couple things. Um, see, that's why, I, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, it, it gets frustrating, you know, in a sport, right? You got people that moving all over the place without fighting the guys in their division. Then you have guys who jump in front of the line when they are really not ready, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like you have Mike Tyson punch out, right? You don't just jump in a ring, you know, and get pissed in Honda. You know what I'm saying? You don't just go in there and get pissed. <laughs> it depends on that code. It depends on that code. 757. <laughs> yeah, man, you got to take – Glass joke, you know what I'm saying? Go up to King Hippo, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying. So I think that that's the way it should be in this case. And then also, like, first Lord T's, he was kind of getting touched up a little bit. You look at his face after that fight. Westcom was getting off a little bit, hooker. You know what I'm saying? Taking that into consideration Mm -hmm. that he was fighting a much I just want to say much smaller guy, but to a certain degree he was because that's like really the first fight Hooker had at 147. So that's what I'm saying. Just make sure that you go ahead and get you a couple more fights in first against solid, legitimate 147-pound fighters, and you can continue to be only 22 years old. Now, if he would have just went through Hooker, then I could be like, oh, okay, yeah. Let him, you know, if that's what he want to do. But it still looks like he has some things that he can improve on in addition to if Terrence Crawford gets the young man past seven rounds, it's going to be a wrap because the fight that he had before that, that's the thing that I was questioning about Ortiz. He finished the guy around the seventh round, but I just saw how he was huffing and puffing. Like he was really tired, but he got the guy out of there. So if the guy would have been able to survive that particular barrage of punches that he was putting on him, I don't know how what would have happened after that. You know what I mean? It probably would have been good for him to go through that, but he needs something like that moving forward before you end up like Fernando Vargas, who tried to bite off too much he could chew, and then he ended up, you know, really having a shortened career because he didn't properly go about it the way he probably should have. 
You know what I'm saying? So that's the only thing, man. Shout out to uh, Virgil Ortiz. He's, he's a good young fighter, man. It's just make sure that you take the proper steps, you know, moving forward. Don't, don't, don't you brush the ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> take your time, young man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to to uh, Virgil Ortiz, you know, uh, great guy to listen to, and even shout out to, to Maurice Hooker. I, I, yeah, I saw. I was confused about them booing him also because I, I was like, I don't, I didn't know what that was about. But you know, shout out to Maurice. You fought a great fight. I, I'm cheering for you. I'm not booing you, Maurice, if you're listening. Um, so moving right along, uh, we had a, a cruiserweight matchup yesterday. Um, we had Lawrence Okalai versus Christoph Golovsky. And shout out to Will for putting me on this fight. Uh, so did you guys check out this fight? Uh, if you did, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, man, I checked it out. And um, yeah, Will, you did a good job of uh, previewing it because I kind of went into it knowing what to knowing what to look for. Um, I remembered I saw Golovsky fight a while ago, back when he fought Marco Hook, when he was uh, when Hook was like undefeated, and I think he was unified at the, at the time. Uh, so I remember when I saw his face, I remember the name, and then I remember Okoli fought on on his own card back in December. And so you know, with your preview and putting those names, I'm like, oh, okay, I know these guys. But you know, that said, it was a pretty one sided fight, man. Uh, Okoli, he's six five. Uh, moves very well. He 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 establishes the distance very well. Uh, he did this thing where he was, you know, he, he had the distance and he would move to his right. Gubowski was a southpaw. And so he kind of left himself up, left himself kind of open in theory to to the two. But Gubowski just couldn't, like, connect with it because he was so far away. So, man, he, you know, it was, I, I had it uh, all the rounds to Akoli. Uh, up until the the, the six round stoppage, and and yeah, he just kind of did what he wanted. He he pretty easily won the first the the first few rounds, uh, really just off the jab and keep it distance. And then the fourth round, he started to let the two go more, and Lavasi started getting hurt. And yeah, he pretty much uh, he caught him with a basic one two. He 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 in, in the sixth round, he he the one made Lavasi dip his head a little bit. Um, and then after he did his head, he caught him clean with the two, and he was out of there. So, you know, that said, this was his – it was a real step up for him. Glavosky, you know, he has quite the resume at Cruiser. And so, you know, I don't know – I don't want to take anything away because I don't know, you know, how sort of like worn Glavosky was from those, from those wars he's been in. But um, Akoli did what he had to do here, and I think he's going to be a, a major player – in the cruiserweight division. Um, another thing I would say is that, you know, just off his size alone, not only is he, is he going to give cruiserweights problems, but if he were to move up and weight, you know, the heavyweight, uh, it looks like his, from what I could see, his power would still be there. And it didn't even seem like he had to use his whole arsenal for this fight. He, I mean, literally the, the ones and twos got the jobs done from what I saw. So, uh, you know, great job to Okoli and his camp. Yeah, shouts out to the cruiserweights. Uh, and I'm, this will be a public apology to the cruiserweights because I've been so kind of critical of them, them and the heavyweights, and kind of not interested in the cruiserweights. But I was very impressed with Akoli and his performance. I mean, he worked off this 
his, his long jab. He did his one-two. The only thing I saw was, you know, he kind of had, you know, his right hand down when he when he threw that jab. But it didn't matter because, I mean, if you're that far away, you're not going to counter him. <laughs> so, and it, I mean, whatever he, he used that 80 inches of reach, I mean, he used it to the to the T. I mean, basically he fought – he used some of the tools that I think would have aided Maurice Hooker had Maurice Hooker fought differently. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it was – and he, and I like the way he moved. I was very impressed how you can be a bigger, taller guy and move just move around the ring, around the guy, and he can't do anything with you. It's, it it was beautiful the way he fought, but I like how, you know, I liked it again. I like this height, you know, how you use this height and range. Uh, Glowski, he tried, but just couldn't get the job done. It wasn't enough. And, and for a minute, it looked like this fight was going to go to the distance because it started to flow into a rhythm that was just, you know, this consistent rhythm. And then all of a sudden, a Coley, he just ended it like just one, two, bow, you know, and it, it, and I like the way how he, he you know, he, he kind of lured Golovsky to sleep and just bow, and that was it, you know, it hurt him. So uh, it was a good fight. Um, I actually actually enjoyed it, you know. So uh, shouts out to Will for, for uh, throwing that gym out there to us. You actually thought that you um, checked him out that last time on that Joshua undercard. That's why I brought him up, um, really. And they had such a – um, you know, large fan base uh, for that fight, but it was a lot of attention being thrown his way. So I thought that he was more popular than he actually was. Um, obviously, over here, he, he isn't, you know, as known as he is over in the UK. But going into the fight, he was a 3-1 to favorite, um, probably because the fact that Goblowski, you didn't know whether or not how shot-worn he would have been at his age of 34 years old and then coming off that KO loss to Bradis that I, I mentioned also last week. But really, you know, when I checked out the fight, I was impressed um, for a couple of reasons because, one, O'Coley, he was fighting like a tall man is supposed to fight. He started off a little tentative at first, but he found his rhythm around the third or fourth round, and he never looked back. And so now he has the WBO title. And... He's really improved a lot since early in his career, what he would do. And I wasn't actually watching him at the time, but when I went back to revisit him after the um, last time, after the last time I saw him fight on that Joshua card, what he would do in the past is he would like throw his jab, throw a heavy punch, and then he'll clinch. Like that was his whole tactic at first. And so now, like I said, he's really you know, um, done wonders in terms of finding his style. And I, you also can attribute that to Shane McGuigan, who was his trainer. The other thing is I saw some highlights of him. He got starched. I think that may have been in the amateurs. I'm not sure. But it's it a guy named Iris Landy Savone that put him out. Um, you know, it's, it's a YouTube video of that. First round KO, he, he put him out. But like I say, since then, He's, he's improved a lot. So as far as the fight is concerned, first round, um, Goblowski really didn't do too much. I'm trying to look and see what Goblowski still had, right? And he didn't do too much the first round. And then, like I said, Okoli was kind of tentative at first. Um, second round, Okoli was lining him up like with a jab and then some nice punches to the body or right hands to the body. Third round, pretty much status quo. And then a fourth round, 
that's when everything seemed to it started to click for a Coley, where he was, you know, throwing that nice rangy jab, and then he was throwing those strong right hands. And so by the time the fifth round came around, I knew that the older Wiley veteran, it just he just didn't have it, or he didn't have it against Okoli. Like he didn't have any answers. And so, like you said, uh, when the sixth round rolled around, about 45 seconds into it, Okoli gave him that old one-two, and that was all she wrote. Now, Okoli still has a way to go in terms of growing into himself. But, you know, it seems like he's getting better and better. That's the best I've seen and the most refined I've seen him. And that's all you can ask of a guy is just to go ahead and improve on your skills and, you know, Put it out there, you know, all on the line. And he, like I said, ended up with the WBO strap as a result of the work that he's put in. I heard him say that he wants to fight Maris Bradis next. Now, that's going to tell it all to me. But again, Maris Bradis, I want to say he's like 36 years old now. So I don't know how much that's going to play a factor in a fight with old Coley. But Maris Bradis, man, that's a bad boy right there. He only has one loss. That loss was to Usyk. And that's probably the toughest fight Usyk has ever had. He beat him, but it was a majority decision that he won that fight. And then Bradis, his record wouldn't indicate that he has power like that. But he doesn't really um, – he, he does a lot of damage to his opponent when he lands on him. So that's going to be an interesting fight, and hopefully they can make that next. But we shall see. But great win for a Colt. Anything else you guys have uh, regarding that matchup? All right, so the next bout I believe we're going to discuss is the fight between Arthur Betterbeev and Adam, I think it's Dynas. Uh, they fought yesterday also. Uh, what did you guys think of Betterbeev's performance? We had Arthur Betterbeev uh, coming in this fight. He's 15 and no, 15 knockouts. Uh, he has that sensational win over uh, Vodic, Alexander Vodic which was a, a great fight to see, but it was two years ago and that was actually his last fight. So he's coming off a, a two year layoff, um, had some issues with uh, some injuries, some rib injuries. And also uh, here at one point he had COVID. Um, plus he's also 36. Uh, so he's going against uh, Adam Dynas, who was 19 and one. Uh, the only uh, notable fight that I saw that, I, you know, uh, that's noticeable is his loss to Phelong Ming. Um, so even this fight, I, I didn't expect it to 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 go as long as it did, and it it, it actually did. Um, Bitter B, if he did what he usually does, he he moves from you know into range and starts throwing you know these these powerful uppercuts and and uh, hooks and, and and even works off a jab, but. Um, his punches, it just—it looks like it hurts so bad. When, especially the body punches, it just—you hear it, it's like you just hear the bones just breaking or something. Uh, so the power is still there. Um, it's, it seemed like he just may have been maybe lost—not not lost a step, but maybe that two-year layoff was kind of affecting him a little bit. But still, wasn't—you know—he did what he had to do. He, he pretty much uh, beat up Dynas. Um, Kind of took his heart actually by the end. I mean, I, well, not really, because he did hurt Dynas, but it was really the corner that stopped the fight. But it was just too much. He was just be, beating up on Dynas for about for, for ten rounds, and and 
the corner just finally threw in the towel when he went down on a, a counter combo, uh, a good counter combo that Bitter B threw. So, I mean, good win for, you know, Bitter B. He, he, I, th- I think he should have gotten the job done earlier. But at this point, it's like he's 36. I mean, I, I understand this this Canelo thing that Canelo is the top guy and that's what everyone's looking at. Sometimes these fighters just need to fight each other and fight who, who's in your weight class, fight who's around you. And we, I want to see him against Dimitri Bivo. I want, I want to see that fight next. I don't care about promotional companies or anything like that. Those two guys are right there for each other. They should fight each other. <laughs> Done my rant. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing you can't like really argue with better beef, better beef, um, because he did fight Vazdek. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, for his sake, he better go ahead and try to get that fight as soon as possible before some of his skills erode even more. Yesterday. And again, you can attribute it to, I mean, he had a lot going against him as well, but the, the, yeah, he's the opposite of Hooker in terms of his physique, his size. Like, he's uh, one of those, I mean, he's real sturdy. Like, he's, like, you're talking about somebody big for their weight. It's just like everything about the dude is just big. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you're in that weight class, he's hard to move too. Um, He's built like a tank. He reminds me of that one UFC guy that um, beat up Conor McGregor a couple of years ago. Like they kind of look like each other. Khabib. Yeah, Khabib. Khabib. Yeah. Um, but as far as you know, what I saw, like he looked slower than I've seen him ever look. Um, and I was just so surprised that after he won, how happy he was. You know what I'm saying? Like he jumped on the ground, and you know he was elated. So. Which tells me that it wasn't like he was just trying to get some rounds in. Like he really was in a fight. So, um, like right now, he's as vulnerable as I've ever seen him look. Like he's not one of the top pound for pound fighters based on that performance. But you know, good for him that he was able to get some rust off. But again, how much of that do you factor into? Is he just getting old? Was it the fact that? You know, they said that he actually had to go to a specialist after he had COVID to get his breathing back on track. So how much of it do you and how much will he get back from that? You know what I mean? Was this something that's going to be impacting him and affecting him just throughout the rest of his career? And then also that 519 days without stepping into the ring, you know, that had to play a factor as well. So he had a lot going against him. But at the end of the day, you got to get in there to get some of that rust off, get some of your timing back. And so I expect him to look better moving forward. Um, but um, Dynasty, he was looking pretty good. He's, it was a much more competitive fight than I expected, you know, going in. But Dynasty is, is pretty good. Um, he got dropped in the first, and he also got dropped, you know, with that big hook in the 10. So. Like I say, better be better go ahead and get the bibble fight now um, before, you know, you lose more in terms of, you know, your skills eroding even more. Any more than this, like any, all the top guys, like I would be seething at the opportunity to face him now because I think you can box his ears off now. Like, and he's going to be, 
um, there to be hit, you know. And so I, I don't know, man. I, I, it's looking pretty bad for better be against those upper echelon guys. Bevel, um, my guy that just moved up, uh, the Mexican guy um, who I heard of, like all of them do. So, yeah, we'll see though. I'm, I'm glad he was able to get some. Smith, Smith, give him a. I think Smith might knock him out the ring right now. <laughs> Yeah, that seemed to be the matchup they were they were saying could could happen next. So, you know, um, I don't have much to add other than what you guys said. Uh, I'll just probably do do more reiterating than anything. Um, yeah, he 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 got rounds in. Hope I don't know if it was a rust or if it was you know him recovering from COVID or or what it was. But I'm willing to or his age. But I'm willing to 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 write this performance off. I mean, I say I'm willing to like I'm in there, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just looking forward to seeing who he fights next. You guys are the name, the names you said, Joe Smith might knock him out the ring. Like he did, uh, my man B hop. He, he, he about, honestly, I'm not going to hold you, but honestly, he about a year, two years away from being Canelo bait too. Canelo, Canelo love him some, some, some uh, light heavies in, the, in their late thirties. So I don't know. We'll see, but. But no, um, I'm looking forward to seeing. He, physically, he looked he looked good, and so um, the the punching power is is still is still there. He had that Terminator style, so you know it was a good a good day back. See what happens next. Um, Danny Garcia, he has made the decision to move up from welterweight to 154, junior middleweight. How do you guys see this career move playing out for him? Yeah. I don't like it for Danny Garcia. Um, it's, it's a couple reasons why. Um, but the main reason is I just don't like his chances against probably out of the top. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. Out of the top eight guys at 154, maybe two or three of them he would have a chance against, I would think. But primarily, uh, most of those guys, I think, will wipe the floor. Um, Danny, see, sometimes when guys move up, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, you get later in your career and you move up. And you it's, – it's beneficial to some guys because you can see things that bigger guys do. Like, they just hair slow, slower. So it's going to benefit you to move up because you're able to get out of punches a little bit better. You're able to – you know, effectively punch with them because your speed is just going to get their hair quicker and, you know, it's beneficial to you. I don't see that being a benefit to Danny because I don't see the speed. And also, I don't think he's having a difficult time with hurting some of these 147 pounds. So I don't see his power, you know, transferring up to the higher weight class either. The other thing is his his problem is a lot of times he gets outworked. I don't think that he's going to outwork those guys. I think he'll have the same problem. It'll just they might be pounding on him a little bit more. He'll be taking more punishment at the higher weight. So for instance, I don't like his chances against Jamil Charlo. I don't like his chances against Hurt. I just think he's too big, too powerful. I don't like his chances against Aries Landy Lara. I just think that he will box his ears off. 
I don't like his chance against J-Rock. I think he's too big. And I think Tony Harrison will put his body bag in a body bag, you know. So, now, some of the guys he made, now, he's talking about going up there to get a belt. Now, maybe, I think Castano is a little bit better than I'm thinking. And I still think that Castano will outwork him, you know, at the very least, if not stop him. And then some of the other guys he may be able to defeat, he might be able to beat Eric Salugan. He might be able to beat um, Banana Rosario, but they don't have belts. So it wouldn't make sense for him to move up to fight those guys when he could stay in the weight division that has all of the bigger names and you can make more money in the 147-pound weight class. Uh, so I just I don't like the move for no reason uh, for Danny Garcia. Yeah, more or less – I'm where you are. Uh, you know, he's he, he's 33 years old, five foot eight, six eight and a half inch reach. Um, 36 and three with 21 knockouts. Out of those 21 knockouts, uh, only four of them came at the welterweight division against uh, Adrian Granados, Brenda Rios, Samuel Vargas, and, and Pauli Madonaji. Um, whatever problems he had. At 147, I don't see those problems going away at 154. Um, size would not be in his favor. Age would not be in his favor. Power would not be in his favor. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the top 10 right now. You named off a lot of these names. But if you want to get a belt, there's a lot of people you have to go past to get a belt. And I don't see him going past any of those guys. Like, I'm looking at guys like, you know, even like the, the young guy, Fedora, 6'5 guy. Uh, young guy still sitting right there. You you face him in a title eliminator and and I don't I don't see Garcia winning that, um, so yeah I don't maybe maybe his camp sees something that I don't but if he's if he's looking to get a belt I don't I don't know what to tell him um, if he's looking to get a world belt I don't know what to tell him because I I don't see again from the top ten I would maybe put him after Lubin. And so, at best, he's probably like ninth in the division. Ninth, ninth in the division is not really going to get you a belt. Might get you a title shot, but it's not get you a belt. So, I, I wish them the best. Like, I don't have a problem with him. I just don't know what he's looking to. I, I know what he's looking to get, but I don't but think you know he's going to get what he's they looking for. He would jump the line out of this move just based on his name alone. So, let's say, for instance, Jamel wants to fight Danny Garcia. They would make that fight. Because that would benefit Jamel in terms of that name recognition. That's probably the biggest name that he would have on his resume. And let's say, for instance, they do something like that in the Philly or they do it in Houston. That's going to be a huge event. And so he would jump the line. He would. It wouldn't be in terms of what he's done at 154. Like, the work that he put in in that division would be the fact that that's a popularity type thing where they're going to jump the line. Like, you know, some guys just have that where, you know, the name recognition is going to – they'll jump the line against the other um, opponents. And they may put some step-aside money or, or whatever, but that would be a huge event for, for those guys. That's fair. I just – and, you know, good for him if, if that happens. It just like – so, you know, if he does that, he might have – he might have a tune-up or he might go straight into it. Either way, that gives you – one or two fights, and then I don't think, I don't think if he takes a fight like that, 
Um, I don't I don't think he's gonna have the marketability at 154 anymore, like off the strength of how that fight will come play out. And so it's like, all right, you you moved up for two fights, which is if that's what he wants to do, cool. But I see what you're saying. Um, so you know, if that's what he wants to do, then you know, there is a chance that could happen. I'm with you guys. I don't like this one bit. Um, and sure, I'm pretty sure Danny is like, I'm, I'm going to prove everyone wrong. But I, I just don't I don't like his chances. And I think the thinking is that uh, Jermail Charlo is probably going to vacate and move up or something like that. Or um, especially after he uh, gets that last belt, if he, if he you know fights Castano and get that last belt, he's probably going to move up. Um that may be their thinking. Not sure if it's going to happen. But even then, I think Danny Garcia's road is, is – I think it will be harder. And, and it's not an a indictment on how good or not good he is because Danny Garcia could be even be more talented than some of those guys. But I think the, the, the size difference right now between welterweight – the natural size difference right now between welterweight and light, and, uh, light middleweight I think it's too much right now. Those guys are just a totally different size. Um, I think it's different. Even though today's welterweights uh, walk around heavier, I think they're naturally smaller um, than they were in, in let's say, the the an Oscar De La Hoya or a Sherry Leonard. Um, and to, and to, to give you guys an example, um, Oscar De La Hoya and, and let's say even Sugar Ray Leonard, they have pretty much almost the same dimensions of the Errol Spence, who's considered a huge, you know, welterweight. You know, then you have guys at uh, light middleweight today, uh, Arislandi Lara, um, Erickson Lubin. These guys are considered small, light middleweights, and they're around the same size as an Errol Spence. You know, a guy that Danny Garcia struggled with because of size. You know, so now you're going to move up. You're gonna fight guys who who who's, who's, who's bigger, and not only that, they can box also. It's not like they're they're not an Errol Spence level, but they can box. I mean, let's leave Charlo out of the equation because he's not. I don't think he's gonna fight Charlo, and Charlo will probably wash him. But when you look at guys like even Ju- uh, Julian Williams, you know, uh, um, um, who's the guy that that uh, Jermel beat? Um, the one that beat J Rock, that what guy. Rosario, I mean, those guys are just, it's, it's going to be too brutal for Danny against those guys. These guys are like 5'11, 6. You know, Tony Harrison is a six footer. You know, Jared Hur is like a six foot light middleweight that, that, that comes in the ring looking like a light heavyweight. You know, I, I just don't like his, I don't like that look for him, for Danny. I, if, I were Dan, if I was Danny, I would try to go back to 140 if I were him. <laughs> But uh, hey, it's his career. I mean, he's he's, he's like you said, Will. He's probably going to get a, a shot based off a of name value because he is a name value, and a lot of those guys uh, outside of Charlo, they're not really as popular as the guys at welterweight. So they may be looking for that name value, and I can see you know um, Garcia taking on a Castaño or something like that. But uh, you know what? At first, I th- I saw that. Um, I thought Danny would do a, a decent job against Castaño, but I think one of you guys brought up an excellent point that Castaño's work rate, you know, and Danny's lack of work rate will work against him in, a, in that fight. So that's why I don't really like that fight for him either. So yeah, all in all, I don't like I don't like this one bit. 
So next week, moving along, we have uh, a heavyweight treat. Uh, we saw part one of this fight uh, months ago. Um, now we have a part two. Uh, we have Alexander Povetkin versus Dalian White. Um, how do you guys see this fight going? How do you see the rematch going? Do you think it's going to go similar or different? Um, you know what? I'm going I'm to keep mine pretty brief. Um, you said it before, actually, uh, Vel, when we talked about it after the first one. But, you know, when you get knocked out like that the first time, it typically doesn't go well the second time, especially at the heavyweight division. And so, you know, I, I had it probably 75-25 Pavekin when it was initially announced back in November, December timeframe, just because it was quick, but um, so it's a quick turnaround. But I do think the longer layoff from the first one is going to favor White. And so um, it's going to favor him in the sense that it's not going to be as lopsided as I, I thought it might have been, because the first one was pretty close leading up to that point. It's just that I don't, I would trust Pavekin to get the knockout more than I would trust White at this point in their careers and, and the, you know, based on the fact that they're fighting again. So I would still give it probably about 60-40 Pavekin. Yeah, on paper, it looks like Dillian White should win this fight. On paper, when you look at it, because Pavekin, you know, he's 41 years old, 42 years old. Uh, he's in his 40s. Um, Dillian White is, is, what, 10 years younger he should be fresher, even though he has some war. They both have had wars. Um, but when I think about what would actually happen, I I can't see Dylan White doing I can't see I can see the same type of fight happening and I can see Provecan still cracking Dylan White because it's just a mental the 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 the, the mental war I think Provecan has already won. He knows he can knock Dylan White out. Dylan White knows that Provecan can knock him out. So I think White will probably – I can see White playing it safer, safer and losing that way, you know, playing it safe and not trying not to get knocked out. But if he bangs with him, he knows that Povetkin can knock him out. And uh, also, even though Povetkin is 40, I don't know what he's eating, but he's, he's – the last, what, five, to five, six, seven years, he, he's developing some erasers. So – it doesn't matter if Dylan White can outwork him or not. I think if White doesn't get him out there early, I think Vivekan is going to do the same thing, catch him with one of those counters. I mean, Vivekan has that power. I mean, he's, of course he's 40, but he also has the boxing ability and timing to set any of those punches up whenever he feels like it. I mean, he has an Olympic pedigree. You know, he's a gold medalist. So uh, on paper, White should win, but I think once they get in the ring, I think Vivekan is going to, crack that chin again all right so for this fight again you got Bavekin, uh 41 years old 36 2 one with 25 KOs, has a 75 inch reach dillian white 32 27 2 18 ko 6 4 with a 78 inch reach the rematch um, originally was slated for November, but it was postponed because the vacant tested positive for COVID. And so as I think about this matchup, two things come to mind. One, will Povetkin have any adverse effects from the virus? And then the second thing that you have to factor in is will White have any lingering effects 
or will he be able to rebound from such a devastating KO? To answer those questions, I have no idea at this point um, what's going to happen. But what I do know is going to boil down really to who lands first because both of those guys throw a lot of big punches. Um, Dillian was catching Vivek and early dropped him, I want to say twice, before he was knocked out. Uh, we do know that Pavek can, can work through adversity and still, you know, come back and be able to rebound and get a victory. And Dillian also, but Dillian, it's, it's a couple other things as well. Dillian, when he got knocked out by Joshua, it's, it's a punch that he just like those uppercuts. Like Joshua put him away with an uppercut, and then you saw what Pavekin did uh, with the uppercut. He's out. Like, it's, it's, it's a wrap. You know what I mean? Um, see, Dillian really could make it. He doesn't fight like this, and he's not going to have the discipline to be able to fight like this. But if he just, like, lands his shots, right, and he stays out of the way and moves away, when he's in Pavekin's range, then he could, I think he'll easily get the nod. But he kind of like Hooker, where it's like he's going to want to bang, and he probably, with that ego that he has, he probably wants to match Pavekin in terms of the knockout, right? He wants to get some get back. So at some point, there's going to be some exchanges in there. And like I say, Pavekin being 41 years old, he looked a little old. Um, the last time, but he did what you said, Bill, is he flicked that jab on White and then he kind of blinded him, but he set him up and put his head in a place where he can land an uppercut. And so it wasn't like it was a lucky punch or anything like that. He set that up. Um, so again, I, I just think it's a 50-50 fight. It's going to boil down to who lands first. Um, and the last thing I'm going to say is when I keep speaking of Pavekin's range, it's a fighter uh, who used to train with him, Brian Jennings from Philadelphia. He always talked about that. I can't remember. I think it was before the first fight. He was saying that he likes White. I think he said that, but I, I do re recall him mentioning. He said when he trained with Pavekin, he said there's a range that when he's in there, like he's really good in that range. Like you're not going to be able to beat him if he's in that specific area where he can land his shots. And so, like I say, Dylan just has to stay out of that range. He doesn't do much outside of being in that range. But who knows? I think it's a 50-50 fight. It's just going to be based on who lands first. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap things up? No, sir. All right, bet. You know, appreciate you listening. Um, just make sure that you continue yep. to follow the movement. Catch us on YouTube. Get those different segments of our podcast. Search Last Ones at the Bar. Make sure that you hit the like and subscribe button. Definitely check out us on Twitter. Check us out on Instagram. The handle's always going to be Last Ones at the Bar. On that note, have a great Monday, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.